Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hey, it's Anna. I want to let you know that in this episode, I talk with Gabrielle Union about her experience with sexual assault. If that's not something you want to listen to right now, you might want to skip this one. I really realized I put the shackles on myself, um, the shackles of fear, and it was, it was choking me. I was literally being snuffed out by my own fear. And it just took someone suggesting that I had done that, where I was like, huh. It was one of my huh moments. And I was like, take the shackles off. <laughs> Fuck, it worked. And, and it was, that was just the, my beginning. This is Death, Sex, and Money. The show from WNYC about the things we think about a lot. I need to talk about more than Anna Sale. Actor Gabrielle Union celebrated her 50th birthday last fall with a trip with family and friends to Africa. There was a surprise birthday party in Cape Town. It reminded me that shortly before her 45th birthday, we were on stage together in San Francisco, celebrating the release of her first book of essays called We're Gonna Need More Wine. In it, she describes breaking out in movies like Bring It On, getting divorced in her mid-30s, and raising a family with her second husband, former NBA star Dwayne Wade. And Gabrielle writes candidly about her struggle to get pregnant in her 40s, and about being raped by a man who came into the Payless shoe store where she was working when she was 19. A year after we spoke, Gabrielle and Duane welcomed a baby via surrogate, and she's since written a second book called You Got Anything Stronger? Right now, you can see her in the A24 movie The Inspection and in the third season of Truth Be Told on Apple TV that revolves around a true crime podcast plot. We love a podcast plot. My conversation with Gabrielle back in 2017 was on stage at an event hosted by Inforum at the Commonwealth Club. And as you'll hear right at the beginning, we were speaking in the days right after the first series of revelations about Harvey Weinstein had been published and galvanized the Me Too movement. I hope you enjoy this conversation. You have written a book that is profoundly honest about your family and growing up, about the family you've made, about trauma you've survived, about the life you've built. How are you feeling about your 45 years? Oh, the 45 part, that's good. I feel so solid. Um, I've, I've never felt more whole and healed and connected and present and beautiful and powerful um, and, and legit. I've never been more in demand than I, in my entire career than I have been at this moment in, my, in, in time. Um, so is it, that is great. Um, <laughs> in, the, in the last week since the book has been released, um, in the midst of the, 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 the cultural shift that I believe that we are having, I was very nervous that the Harvey Weinstein scandal was, was the tip of an iceberg that, that would somehow melt away and it wouldn't signal the, the sign of a greater shift. But I think what we are seeing and what we will continue to see is we are, we are uh, well, I'm, you might as well get used to it, I cuss. We are fucking fed up <laughs> and we've had enough. And, and it's, it's awful to say it's nice to have 
this community of people who are finally sharing their pain. Um, but it is nice to know that I'm not alone. I'm not on an island. I'm not, um, you know, sometimes you feel like a, a helium balloon sort of drifting off and nobody's trying to catch you. Um, I just feel finally very connected and rooted um, and okay. Hmm. Good. Yeah. Because... Uh, Thank you. For yes. Thank you for You also write about growing up a young black girl in Pleasanton, California, who's from Pleasanton, not far from here. Hey, P-Town. And you also spent summers in Omaha, Nebraska, visiting your grandmother, Mm -hmm. where you were in a community surrounded primarily by black people, and you would go back and forth between these two places. When When you would come back to Pleasanton after spending a summer in Omaha, how would you feel about your blackness? In the beginning, it felt like I was an animal that just got put on display at the zoo. It felt like I was starting over again um, when I was much younger. As I got older and I finally had crushes um, that, like, where the love was returned, I'm like, you, me? me? <laughs> you know, in Pleasanton, I was not an option. I wasn't it was, you're invisible at a time you want to be seen. In Omaha, I started becoming an option. I started being seen. And so the re-entry period, as I got older, I became very angry at having to conform and shapeshift and be invisible again. Because once you've had a taste of of attention that you've been craving, especially male attention uh, for a girl that had very low self-esteem, to go back to being invisible, to go back to being voiceless, to go back to being um, the one that is supposed to feel special when they say, oh, you know, there's niggers and then there's black people. You're, you're one of the good black people. And you're supposed to be like, yeah, <laughs> sure. You know, my parents, of course, they think, they thought moving, to, moving us to Pleasanton was giving us all of the opportunity. You know, you, you great schools, safe neighborhoods, um, you know, it's the, you're going to be around the right kind of people. Um, and all it did was isolate us. Hmm. It made it, we were immediately othered. <laughs> I always talk about that high school dances. There's that moment when the fast songs, you know, are on, and you're like, okay, I'm happy, magical Negro. And then the slow song comes on, and there's that 30 seconds of like, any, any, anybody? And then you suddenly have to come up with an excuse for why, like, no one's asked you to dance. I'm, I'm thirsty. I'm gonna, I'm so hot. <laughs> I'm so hot. I have to go outside. I wasn't, I wasn't fucking hot. You know what I mean? I was just hoping for a pity dance to Brian Adams. No one. No one wants to be in heaven with me. <laughs> no one's summer of 69 and I, 68, I owe you one something. No, no one. Well, you, yeah. you write about a, a young man mm-hmm. who was interested in you and his compliment to you was, you're like a white girl without the hassle. Yes. And this is that a black kid? That was to be a compliment. Yeah. And I took it as one. Not understanding. Um, yeah. What did, what did you hear in that moment and what do you hear now? In, well, that in the sense? moment I felt, ex- I, f- I felt uh, chosen and um, chosen mm-hmm. and I thought I might get lucky. So chosen again. Um, 
Like I was the girl that was like, I'll suck your dick, anybody, any, any, <laughs> any, any of them. Anybody, anybody, anybody? Nope, nope. Um, so I, I, he could have said Ghibli goo, Ghibli goo, and I would have been like, great. Um, I just wanted to be chosen so badly. And for him to say that, now when I, when I hear it, it felt like for him, I got this completely assimilated good girl from the right side of the tracks who speaks a certain way, who lives, I don't know how he thought he, I lived because he'd never seen my house, um, but that you had all the perks of a white girl, but you didn't have to deal with interracial dating. Whatever, for whatever you think that means, or black guys mean um, when they say that. Uh, but I didn't care. He was a dream. He was a vision. He could have had a club foot. I don't know. He chose me. <laughs> and um, When you think about your teenage self learning about men and sex, what do you wish you could tell yourself? That you don't have wolf pussy. Um, <laughs> a. Vaginas come in all shapes, sizes, colors, you know. And they're all amazing. They're all flowers. <laughs> Various states of blooming. Um, but that you're, you know, what you're going through is not unique. Um, everyone else is, is experiencing the same thing, no matter what kind of bravado they are putting forth. Um, but, but also know that you're not just a vessel for male... Um, sexual gratification. You're not a disposable mouth or orifice. Um, that you should have every expectation of enjoying sex as well. And you should communicate what you like and don't like. You don't have to just take it because someone has chosen you in this moment. Um, that you have agency over your body and over your own sexuality. That you don't have to accept the sexuality that some random dude puts on you, <laughs> you know, that he saw in some old, you know, porno on, you know, VHS porn. So you're, you're learning about sex. You're learning about what feels comfortable for you to do, what feels comfortable to be done to you as you're a teenager. And then you're 19, the summer after your first year of college, and you're at work. You write about this in the book in detail. You write about a man coming in near closing time with a gun to rob the store, taking you and your coworker to the back. And he asks you to take your clothes off at gunpoint. And he rapes you. And you press charges. Well, you know what's interesting? I, I didn't. It was just done which is, it's interesting because, I guess, I'm assuming because it was a stranger rape, it wasn't something that anyone asked if I wanted. It was just, they just, you know, assumed. They assumed you were a victim. Yeah. They let you be a victim. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and when you think about just those first hours, what you write about is seeing your parents' faces and you have a sentence that you, on your father's face, you saw, he thought we were priced out of this shit. What was that, what does that mean? Well, you move your, your black kids to Pleasanton to be different, to have the American dream, to 
to show everyone that we are keeping up. Not only are we keeping up with the Joneses, we've shot past the Johnsons. And you think, if I just raise my daughters in this idyllic community with all of these white people doing, you know, going to the right Catholic church, you know, um, if she's in sports, if she's a leader, I have basically insulated my family from pain, from harm, from violence, from life. And his face was, was, I failed. You failed. He failed. I somehow failed. I don't know if he quite understood everything that had happened. Um, I mean, obviously later he did. But that, those, that first moment, it was, what the fuck did you do? What the fuck did I do to get here? This doesn't happen to us. This doesn't happen to good people. You, at one point, took the gun that he was aiming at you, and you shot at him. How do you feel about guns? On that day? Yeah. <laughs> Great. Great. On that day. Um, but, you know, when, when they say, you know, had, had she been armed with a gun, when, I wouldn't have, I would have shot myself, probably. Um, in that moment when it was me or you and motherfucking ain't gonna be me, not today. So I'm going to try to, you know, take you out if I can in that moment. Later, when I thought about gun ownership, mixed with my post-traumatic stress syndrome, those things don't make good for a good symbiotic relationship. That is a recipe for disaster. I, I think about how you talk about sex and the joy that you bring to conversations about sex and the emphasis on female pleasure. Yeah. And then I think about what that trauma must feel like in your body. How, how long did it take for sex to feel good after you were raped? Not long. <laughs> That's good. Because it's that... Is that because it felt like such a fundamentally different act? Well, it was, I mean, rape is violence. You know what I mean? And, and also because my, thank God for my soul, literally was kind enough to leave my body when I was being raped. So it's, it was almost like I was watching a movie of someone else being raped. So I, it's like I didn't feel that. Mm -hmm. I don't have that connection to it. What I didn't realize when I read your book was the crime was, was described in the newspaper very soon after. Yes. And it was described as having a black victim. Mm -hmm. It was black, 19, from Pleasanton. Okay, well, if you're from uh, the, uh, the Tri-Valley area, wouldn't take you that long to put that together. So do you feel and, like... And my place of employment. Yeah. Do which you, everybody knows everything. It, they, I was immediately identified. And, and how do you feel about that, that your ability to decide when and how to reveal that this was part of you, to people in your hometown, was not your choice? That was the, that was the bit that 
felt the worst because I'd worked my whole life to assimilate and to to disappear um, when necessary, to be um, the unseen, to not cause a problem, to you go along, you get along, you fly under the radar, unless it's for something grades or sports related. And now I've been publicly othered. Something bad has happened to you. You know, that was what I'd run from my whole life as having, as, 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 as this black body being this othered negative thing. Even though I didn't ask to be raped, you were raped. Like, you become that black girl. And it was the, that was actually the most traumatizing part. Coming up, Gabrielle learns that getting famous while protecting her personal space is going to be hard. There's no boundaries. And if you do create boundaries, you're an asshole. You're a bad celebrity. People write blog posts about how they had shitty interactions with you. This is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. I'm Anna Sale. In the year after Gabrielle Union was raped, she says she only left her house to go to court or to go to therapy. When she finally did begin going out more, she'd carefully evaluate the safety of the most mundane public places. It started with, you know, I didn't want to go anywhere that could be robbed. Um, so, which eliminates, I mean, a lot of places that you go exchange money. Any, most places can be robbed. Um, so just figuring out where was a safe space. Um, libraries. Turns out, my love of books came in handy. Um, you know, going to restaurants, not sitting with my back in the, to the door, always having an exit route. I felt like if I could just be efficient, if I could manage the clock, I could eliminate the time where I, something terrible could happen to me. Eventually that gave way to talking to myself in the parking lot of Target. The likelihood of you being murdered or robbed from the car to Target and back is very low. You're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. But meanwhile, I'm in Hollywood as I'm going through this process and I'm becoming recognizable. So there's these moments where I'm literally talking to myself in the parking lot of some store and someone has literally T-boned me in and I'm shaking, sweating, and then they proceed to scream the cheers from Bring It On. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so trying to to deal with post-traumatic stress syndrome, trying to function, trying to get to class, and then trying to navigate Hollywood as a young actress all at once when you're, there's no boundaries. So how did you? I didn't. No boundaries. I would just be shaking, you know. Randomly, I would say no. But I, it's very rare. Um, me and my former spouse were having an argument in, on the casino floor in Vegas. And I'm literally, you know, crying, you know, screaming the whole operation. Clearly not a good time. And it was a cheerleading competition in the hotel, 
and I look up and it's a swarm of bring it oners <laughs> just with the bows and they look like deranged clowns, you know. And they, you know, and they're like, bring it! And, and I was like, it's not a good time, girls! Because I'm just, you know. And then they just look so disappointed. I was like, you know, okay, I'm not going to, I'm trying, I'm going to try not to say no again. But not saying no means there's no boundaries. So self-care goes out the window. You got to be everything to everybody at all times. Which is impossible. It's impossible. Think about what it takes to get a selfie. How you have to position your body next to someone. Mind you, I've got post-traumatic stress syndrome. I've been violated. People, things keep happening to you that you don't want to happen to you. And for some people, it's like, fuck, I just asked for a selfie. But when you think about what it physically takes to get into somebody close enough, the grabbing of someone that you don't know, full of expectation for, the, for, for those people, it, that moment is everything. I'm literally feeling like a, a hunted rabbit. And if I try to escape it, I will be called a bad celebrity. I'm not a nice woman. She was a bitch. I want to skip ahead a bit to a moment when you're in your 30s, mm-hmm. after your, the end of your first marriage, and you're under the bed. Mm, with Bubba. <laughs> Bubba, your dog, came to investigate. You write why you were under the bed. Um, I had hit rock bottom. I had absolutely hit rock bottom. It was, I had this, this trifecta of a very public failure and humiliation. Um, divorce. My TV show, uh, Night Stalker, got canceled. Um, and I had this weird, random, racist incident happen that played out, like, you know, on, you know, in social media. Um, and I just had hit rock bottom. And I was a hider. I don't know if anyone else hides or I try to fold myself up into you know like small spaces whatever it's it was a thing um and I finally decided to link up with a life coach and she had said um you know I need you to to come up with you know um 10 things to put on your happy list and I was you know she was we were boxing she was also a a trainer so you know I'm boxing I'm crying I'm you know I'm literally rock bottom and she's like name stuff and I'm like ground beef Um, uh, real real butter and imitation crab and she was like hold up she holds she grabs the 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 bag and she was like did you did you just say imitation crab like you don't even like the real fucking thing (laughs) and I was like well it tastes the same and it's cheaper and and she said it's no wonder you got a divorce. You have no idea what makes you happy. How the fuck did you think someone else was going to make you happy? That was kind of the response. <laughs> that was my, um. Like Oprah has aha moments. I have, um. Because <laughs> it feels more like, oh, God, you dumb motherfucker. Like you didn't, it's such, 
common sense stuff that like, did you really need that spelled out for you? Um, and over time, I slowly added things to my happy list and finally started figuring out what actually made me happy. You know, one marriage in, you know, in the middle of my career, you know, at times when you think you have it all together, you think by my mid-30s I should have a general idea. And I had none. Ground beef, real butter, imitation crab. <laughs> and I think there's so many of us who, if you had to say, name 10 things that make you happy, we might struggle a bit. So maybe that's your homework for tonight. <laughs> Write down 10 things that make you happy. Good homework. We're about five minutes until the Q&A, so think about your questions. Um, you write about going through IVF cycle after IVF cycle after IVF cycle in your book. Yeah. What did you call that chapter? Oh, get out of my pussy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Why did you call it that? I felt like my pussy should be the sacrificial pussy um, for everyone else who's got, had any kind of fertility issue, who is so tired of being asked so when he wins the baby, oh, is it coming? How did it go? Like, is it, like, if I wanted you to know, I would fucking tell you. Mm -hmm. Alas, I have not. So stay the fuck out of my pussy. <laughs> um, you know, like literally, and again, I, I know, you know, some of us here don't think that, you know, the Kardashians deserve basic decency, but the, the manhunt into like for like Kylie's bump and Chloe's, you know, like what's in her uterus? Boy or girl, tell us. And it's like, we're like the townspeople. Kardashians, you, we need to know gender reveal now. Um, it's fucking weird. And it like, but the fact that she is so fucking hunted is sick. It's actually sick that we would put, a, put pregnant women in harm's way for what? If, if you've ever had, if anyone in this audience has ever had any fertility issue and it's finally, you're finally pregnant, you want to put a cage around your whole body. Not only are you not telling anybody, you know, we made the mistake of telling everybody, you know, when we got pregnant the first time because we were so you know, as you just, I've never seen my husband so happy. Um, and then to have to turn around and call all those people. And then they just kept coming. You know, you start to get numb. It's like, you don't even get excited anymore. You're like, well, let's just see, you know, let's just hope for the best. And it was just, it's just not happened for us. But that time of like, do I even get hopeful? Do I, but you, again, you want to move through the world with, you know, a steel cage around you to protect yourself. And watching, you know, female celebrities be hunted during the, this, this very, you know, crucial time and, and delicate time, you know, emotionally, physically, um, it's terrifying. And I, and I know that's to come if and when this happens for us. And that, just knowing what's to come, is terrifying. And with that, we'll turn to questions. 
Hi, Gabby. How are you? Hi, good. Thank you for being so honest. I wanted to ask you, when you were talking about going through your list of happy things, the 10 things, was there a moment in being the woman that you are now where you just kind of looked in the mirror and were just like, I'm the shit? Like, when did you really um, know? Was there not, not, not like in a perfect way, but where you were just like, I feel good about who I am? Like last year. It wasn't... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it was, it's been a gradual thing. It wasn't some big transformative moment or it was like, at this premiere, I wore this dress and I, the bitch was bad. It was just, <laughs> it, was a, it, was a, it was a slow process and behavior modification. I think a lot of us have totally identified what the problems are, but we have made no move for behavior modification or accountability, you know? Um, so my happy list now is, um, my husband's at the top of my happy list. He is literally like the coolest, yummiest little being. Um, parks, like we, we do, like the, the things that make us the happiest have turned out to be the cheapest things, like taking a football to the park um, and challenging other couples randomly. It's a really good time. <laughs> yes, we would like to play football with you. Uh, <laughs> They didn't realize it's like, ah, Joe Montana and Jerry Rice. <laughs> D has this thing. He says, throw up, mama. And I, and I humdinger it. And it's a very good time. He runs a nice little nine route, and it's a fabulous time. And it's free. Um, except there's the emotional pain and toll of the other couple. Hi, Gabrielle. Love you, by the way. Um, so you've talked about how you had low self-esteem and you've gone through different traumas and PTSD and all these things. And now you seem to be this really confident, you know, woman that knows her self-worth. But my question is, how did your younger self decide to go into a career that has such, like, hypervigilance and surveillance and, you know, like, how did, how did you decide to get into acting? So my low self-esteem um, led me to a career where um, you get to be chosen. And your being chosen is, is, is very um, visible to millions of people. See, the more productions I get chosen for, I uh, see I'm, I'm, I'm valuable, I'm, I'm worthy, I'm, I'm, I'm beautiful, I'm, I'm, I'm talented. But then what happens when you don't get the job? Your ass is under the bed with your dog. <laughs> so it's, it was, you know, um, and it all started with uh, a Tupac video. I was interning at, uh, at, at a modeling agency for, as office help for, as an internship while at UCLA. And my, as my internship was ending, uh, one of the agents was like, do you think Gabrielle would want to audition for this Tupac video? And the man I had been auditioning or uh, interning for was like, no, she's a serious student. She would never. And I was like, I'm sorry, what was that? <laughs> <sighs> I, I need to go in a bikini and gyrate in front of Tupac and 25 of his closest friends. I would love to. <laughs> Can I bring my UCLA degree with me? I'll write an essay, perhaps. And Freud and Durkheim. Um, <laughs> But yeah, just a, a hot mess for many years. Many, many years. Yes. 
Hi, Gabrielle. Thank Hi. you so much for sharing your story. I really appreciate it. No My question is, I see you and Dwayne Wade in the media, and you both seem so happy. What's the secret to the two of the both of your happiness versus your first marriage? How did you both, you know, get it right this time? Well, we we got it wrong a lot during the courtship. You know, when you shovel a lot of shit onto each other, it takes a lot of um, digging to get yourself out. And we had to hit rock bottom as a couple and decide, is this worth it? I, I love you, I like, and I like you, but this isn't healthy for either of us. Um, and it took therapy, you know? It took being painfully accountable um, for us to figure out how to love each other at the same rate, at the same time, moving in the same direction, um, in a happy, healthy, honest, loving way where we are supportive, but also cool enough to give each other space to breathe and exist. Um, there is no, you complete me shit. It's, <laughs> I'm making a conscious choice to be with you um, every single day because we both have a lot of options. So <laughs> I'm choosing you every day. That's Gabrielle Union. Again, it was about a year after we recorded this conversation that she and her husband, Dwayne Wade, welcomed a baby girl via surrogate. She's currently starring in the third season of the Apple TV show Truth Be Told and the A24 movie, The Inspection. Gabrielle's two books are called We're Gonna Need More Wine and You Got Anything Stronger? Thank you to Inform at the Commonwealth Club for hosting this conversation. You can find out more about their events at commonwealthclub.org. Death, Sex, and Money is a listener-supported production of WNYC Studios in New York. This episode was produced by Katie Bishop with help from Marissa Levine. The rest of our team is Liliana Maria Percy Ruiz, Zoe Azoulay, Afi Yellowduke, Lindsay Foster-Thomas, and Andrew Dunn. Our intern is Baze Hohen. The Reverend John Delure and Steve Lewis wrote our theme music. I'm on Instagram at AnnaSalePix. That's P-I-C-S. The show is at Death, Sex, Money on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thank you to Meredith Heller in San Francisco, California, for being a member of Death, Sex, and Money and supporting us with a monthly donation. Join Meredith and support what we do here by going to deathsexmoney.org slash donate. And since making her original happy list of ground beef and imitation crab, Gabrielle told me she has added a few more things. Animals, nature, travel, friends, beaches, ice-cold Coronas, Mexican food. Um, oh, our family. Family time. Kids. Don't tell them. <laughs> don't. Don't. Tell them, don't go on their Snapchat and be like, she didn't even say y'all. <laughs> like, she said Mexican food, like, well before she said you guys. I'm Anna Sale, and this is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC.